Hi, welcome to Mortality and Tea. I'm your host, Amy. This is a show where I take a guest on a journey of their death and, and in hopes that the guest and you, the listener and viewer, uh, find a more rich and juicy life. Today on our episode, our Mother's Day episode, we have a woman on the show named Holly Stafford, and she has a renowned shop in our town of Saugatuck, Michigan, called Mother Moon, and she is known as Mother Moon in town, so it's kind of fitting for our Mother's Day episode. Holly is the oldest of five girls, which she says has equipped her to raise six daughters. She grew up in upstate New York in the country and attended Hope College in Michigan as an art major where she fell in love with the big Lake Michigan. She married locally and devoted herself to being a good wife and mother of her daughters and stepkids, which is what she was raised to do. The challenges of marriage, of parenting, and of certain crises of faith occurring in her teens subsequently put her on an alternative spiritual path and eventually into her shop, Mother Moon, where she spent the last quarter of a century helping people connect with spirit and heal in many different ways. She is into alternative vibrational medicine and self-care. I hope you enjoy this conversation. and tea with Amy. Hi, Holly. Welcome to Mortality and Tea. How are you today? I'm terrific. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you on the show. Um, do you have a cup of tea? I think I saw you had a cup I of tea. I certainly do. Of <laughs> <laughs> what kind of tea are you drinking? Um, nettles and red clover, which is a very nourishing go-to for me. Mm -hmm. okay. It's high in iron and lots of antioxidants, and that's just one of my allies plant-wise. Okay, wonderful. I'll just start and ask you the first question. Um, what is your ideal death experience? What does your ideal death experience look like? Well, um, I think we got to go back to the old country and western song from Kenny Rogers and the gambling. Gambler, you, best you can hope for is to die in your sleep, right? It would be nice to be not alone and it would be nice to be home. As you know, I had almost all of my children at home and I believe in home birth and I believe in home death. Mm. I are a lot of hospice workers and people who are comfortable staying with people in that final passage. In fact, the midwife for my youngest child has stopped catching babies and she's now doing death midwifery, like helping people mm. from this plane to the original one. <laughs> so um, I think that's, that's ideal. I mean, I would not want to spend my last time hooked up to a bunch of machines just because mm. it would keep me breathing. I'm not particularly afraid of death. I feel like I have a lot left to do, mm -hmm. but I don't think that it's something to be freaked out and afraid of. It's one of the 
things that's going to happen. I mean, it's a guarantee. You're born and eventually you're going to depart. Mm-hmm. I was just, I just uh, read a quote by Jean Cocteau. I don't know if you've heard of her. C-O-C-T-E-A-U. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, since the day of my birth, my death began its walk. It is walking toward me without hurrying. Yeah. Well, as a student of of metaphysics in general, um, one of my earliest shamanic influences in my teens were the Carlos Castaneda books of the teachings of Don Juan. And I'm not exactly sure, after all these years, exactly which book it's in, but Don Juan asks his student to make friends with death. Because if you're not, if you understand your own mortality, you can engage more fully in life than if you're just going to spend all your time trying to avoid it. Mm. Um, Well, what's the Emma Goldman quote? I did not, I will not um, tiptoe carefully through life to arrive safely at death. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, it's not that you don't value your existence. It's just that you need to be fully engaged in your own life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of so, the... Because I was surrounded with a lot of mortality in my teens, it had me thinking a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 11 and a half, and she passed away... Um, shortly after my 17th birthday. So believe me, I took, spent a lot of time in my teens thinking about death because I was mm. living. Mm. And I decided that I didn't really have a typical teenager's sense of my own immortality. I knew that it could be abruptly halted at any point. <laughs> and I just wanted to not be afraid of it. And the advice to make friends with it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm. that's it, one thing to be physically careful and respectful of your life and to take good care of the vessel. It's another thing to be so concerned that you don't take the actions you need to take take a few risks. Um, don't sweat the small stuff, but don't be afraid to engage in the big stuff because we're here to learn things. Mm-hmm. 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 It was one of the intentions I had with starting this show was having a richer, fuller life, a more juicy life by making friends with your death. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been a gift for me, yeah. exploring my own mortality. So thank you for that. Um, so, so your ideal death, would that be, let's hear for clarity, would that be to sleep, but you want to be at home, but do you want to be die in your sleep? Well, nobody wants to be in pain and agony, Sure. but it would be nice if it wasn't drawn out. Mm-hmm. I didn't see my mother for weeks after her last hospitalization. Mm. 
that was not healthy for any of the children in that family. Mm. Nobody got to say goodbye. Um, it, you know, some of us, we all handled it a little differently, but for me, um, it would have been helpful to say goodbye. Mm. It would have been helpful in my family if people had believed that she was going to die. But <laughs> we had some very optimistic people who were holding out for a last minute miracle healing of some sort. Mm. I was walking around filled with teenage cynicism and angst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, you want to be by the people that you love. I don't want to traumatize anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and I have been honored on occasion to be with someone who was getting who was passing or preparing to pass mm -hmm. and it really is a very beautiful passage mm. for people i mean people can get really beautiful when they're ready to go and you can sit there and you can hold their hand and it can be you know it's cathartic for them and for you to let tears go let the feelings flow, let the energy ex be exchanged. Mm -hmm. And now my grandfather had a really good death. I like this one a lot because he was in his 90s, still had most of his marbles and he was still living independently more or less. He had some family support. Um, he and his two surviving adult children and one grandchild that they were very close to went up into the Adirondacks to close up the summer camp at the end of the summer. It was um, beginning, the very, very beginning of September. And they went up on a beautiful fall day and they had a splendid day putting everything away. You know, you put the furniture certain places and you get ready to turn off the water and, you know, winterize and, and lock it all up. And they took a nice walk down to the lake and they ate a nice meal out on the porch. It was pretty warm. And then they went to bed preparing to drive back down out of the mountains in the morning and go home. And in the night, he had a massive heart attack and he was dead before anybody could do anything. Mm. That's like perfect. Mm. A life well lived. Mm. And he didn't end up having to be you know manipulated at the end mm -hmm. so that's a good death yes <laughs> so you value even i've heard you i heard you say uh you don't want to be connected things you don't want to be manipulated so for you to have that nice quiet mm -hmm. quiet the right word quiet passing but yeah. with, okay with some dignity. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the most dignified person in the world, and I'm not like, um, you know, I'm not particularly ashamed of anything physically, but that's private. Mm -hmm. That's private. Mm -hmm. 
Would you want any certain smells in the room or, well, I guess that would be, well. Well, I'll say for my granddad, Mm -hmm. one of his favorite things, and this was as an executive in the business world, he would come home, get in crappy old clothes and go out and split wood. He absolutely loved to work up a wood pile and he loved a wood fire. And so in October, in the cottage that had no heat except the pot-bellied stove. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the scent of wood smoke was in the air. Mm. So <laughs> I don't know if what I would choose at this point, mm-hmm. because for me, I mean, I, I am into smells and essentials, oils and things like that. And I have a lot of plant allies, allies that I love the smell of. But you'd, I don't think that this is something that you can go into with a master plan. Right. It's going to depend on that moment mm-hmm. and who else is there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know love the idea of burning sage, but I occasionally get somebody around that can't stand that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. After you've had your final breath and your body is there, is there anything in particular you would want done with your body in this moment, immediately after your death? Not your not your funeral, mm-hmm. but your body's laying there, whoever is around, or if there are people around, I suppose. I'm not sure it matters. It's not, the vessel at that point becomes rather unimportant. Um, I am not opposed to donating the body to medical research, which is what my mother did. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for some people, um, people I've been with, it was important to have a nice outfit and have somebody make you look good. Mm-hmm. But I don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. That's Okay. Um, so like immediately after you pass, would you want your family to come in and spend time with your body or if they wanted to, but I would never want to feel like they, I would never want any of them to feel like they had to do that mm-hmm. if they were uncomfortable, because I know in some families where there's, you know, a lot of, you know, ritual and viewing and stuff, some people have been really freaked out by that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's healthy to see that vessel, mm-hmm. but that would depend on what they want to do at that point. Okay. Right. In my trust, I have one kid in charge of the business aspects and one in charge of pulling the plug and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So um, they would just have to come to a consensus on that. And they all get along well enough that I'm not concerned about it. So it's not your vessel anymore. Uh, is this accurate that it would be? It would be about what they need or what they want. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. And they, you know, I've written out enough stuff so they know which hoops I don't want. Like, mm-hmm. please don't make a big freaking deal out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. What would be a big deal? Oh, a huge for- funeral, a few. Fu- formal funeral, spending lots of money on that kind of thing. That's just baloney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A curiosity. The, what the would lessons, you- they've, hopefully they've gotten most of the lessons, but the lessons are, you know, our day-to-day life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, curiosity, what would, what kind of funeral would you have? I'd prefer some sort of green burial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are places like for the- I mean, I, I, if it was up to me, I'd do a full-fledged pagan funeral and there are such rituals. Um, but I've never forced my spiritual views on my kids, so they're going to have to just figure out what they're comfortable doing mm-hmm. or not doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which leads me to my next question, which is what do you believe happens after you die? Your vessel, your vessel is empty, but what are your beliefs around after death? of the body well for starters i've always always believed in reincarnation i think that when we come in we have a set of things we've agreed to work on Mm -hmm. either qualities of humanness or lessons um i had very distinct past life memories as a small child and they cropped up pretty regularly I felt like a lot of that deja vu was a warning system, if you will. Like, you're about to screw up. Think this through and don't do it that way again. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. uh, one of the hardest things to cope with for me was that I was quite sure that I was used to being a man. I was mm. used to being in a male body. Mm-hmm. And I remember about the time I started school and I realized I was a girl. And I was so pissed because I was fully aware that I would not be having the amount of power I was accustomed to having, the Mm -hmm. type of power. And I had a lot of discovery to do on other types of power than that, than those that I had experienced in the last few incarnations. Mm. Also, parenting was a big thing because I had, I believe, not been a very engaged parent, which is a lot easier to do when you're male than when you're female. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you believe you'll... I believe that um, I will... I think there's a, a few stages to moving from more from our mortal sphere into spirit i think there's adjustments to make depending on the individual Mm -hmm. but we will reintegrate and remember the things that we've forgotten from previous lives Mm -hmm. and figure out what's next and that can take however time is measured in in that other realm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't believe in clear-cut heaven or hell i actually think this is hell (laughs) (laughs) if we so choose to make it (laughs) if we so choose to make it yeah okay okay Mm -hmm. and i mean circumstances may be pretty hellish i don't think this mortal sphere is um i think it's a trial i don't think it's always that much of a gift but there are lessons that i think we can only learn when we are enfleshed if we could learn everything as pure spirit, we would. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's why I don't mind life being hard because that's what the lessons are for. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, what do you regret most not having done in your life? Well, saying goodbye to my mother was a big one. Mm. Um, and never getting to resolve stuff because you know how well you get along with your mommy when you're like 16 or 17 years old. <laughs> And you never get to like ever say, oh my God, mama, I'm so sorry. I was such an idiot. You, know? mm -hmm. you never get to say that, mm. um, you know, except in prayer, which of course I can do, but it's not the same. Um, and I, I have a lot of regrets about that. She would have, you know, if you only mother and you die before you're 40 and you never even get to have grandchildren, I mean, she really got ripped off <laughs> in terms of what life has to offer. But that was her trip, not mine. Um, I don't regret getting married and having children, but there is a part of me that wishes I'd been a little bit more aggressive pursuing my art. It's never too late, but it's really hard to kick yourself in, in gear and get going when you haven't been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. You get lazy, mm -hmm. habit-wise, mm -hmm. visually, all of it, you know. On the other hand, I love what I do, and I feel like I'm doing what I should be doing. It doesn't feel wrong. It, it, it feels, it's not always easy, but it feels right. So yeah, maybe things have just worked out the way they need to work out anyway. What kind of art did you do? I'm a pretty good draftsman. I can paint. I'm not the colorist that some people are, but I'm I'm not bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. And is there a moment you most regret in your life? Having done? A single one? No. Mm. No. I mean, I've never been hesitant. I've never, well, actually, I was taught to apologize for freaking everything I did growing up. But I haven't been hesitant about telling people that when I think I'm wrong, when I think I screwed up, I'm mm -hmm. not hesitant about apologizing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't diminish me in any way to, to acknowledge that I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Mistakes aren't mistakes unless you don't learn anything. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to apologize to some of my older children for having other children that replaced them as the baby. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. That's just the way it worked out. I didn't go out of my way to do this, but it happened. And you just need to get over that you're not the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Maybe I wish I'd learned I'd learned more about astrology sooner. It would have been very useful to know some of the things I later learned when my stepson was young, because I would have understood him better. Mm. On the other hand, I didn't have children when I was 13, so um, mm -hmm. I was bound to screw up. <laughs> right. <laughs> So you're a 
you have studied a lot about astrology. Is this correct? Yes. I started studying um, within a year of starting the shop, which was 28 years ago. Mm-hmm. At first, it was just to have a better book selection. Mm-hmm. But along the, the way, I began to study it, and I realized very rapidly that astrology would help me. It's, it's a really good psychological tool mm-hmm. to understanding people, and especially your children, mm-hmm. because it tells you what they're likely to be like, like what kind of emotional nature do they have? What style of, of learning are they likely to um, benefit from the most? So you can kind of have a heads up. Um, It's like, oh my goodness, the goddess sent directions. I should figure out how to follow them. (laughs) So, I mean, it gave me a lot of insight into my husband Things that he did that were incomprehensible, astrology explained to me. So then, oh, I can see where he's coming from because of this. So it's created a deeper understanding for you for... Well, all of my favorite authors are union analysts who, because they train as formal psychologists in a union tradition, because Jung paid attention to divination methods astrology and tarot and all these these divination methods he felt were means of tapping the collective unconscious Mm. and a really ethical psychiatrist who studied or psychologist who has studied astrology can cut years off of analysis by simply looking at the person's chart they can sort of get an idea of what kind of work they're supposed to be doing and not just we're not talking about career but emotionally usually Mm. um and you can usually see what they're doing to avoid it. Mm. And if you can, if you can figure out that avoidance, you can, um, you know, the ethical psychologist can cut years off of of the amount of time they're spending because they can cut right to the chase. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for instance, it felt very comfortable and natural for me to maybe a homemaker, to be mommy and to take care of a home and make the home home-like and comfortable and all of that. I wasn't burning to go out and have a career, mm-hmm. but in my chart, it was absolutely necessary that I get out there and do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the uh, energy ruling that career is Scorpio, which is mysticism and all the woo-woo stuff, which is what I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> but typically people will embrace that South note. Like I have a sister where it's the opposite. She's meant to be home, to work out of home and do things. She was the most high powered, big business woman for years. I mean, she had her children and went right back to work and she was climbing that ladder with her masters in business and all of this stuff. But what she needed for her soul growth was to be home. Mm. And it was hard. It was scary. It's always scary to go where, where you're supposed to go because mm-hmm. the South note is what you've done in past incarnations. Mm-hmm. So you know how to do it. It feels totally wonderful and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's scary to go where you haven't been before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which could be death. Scary to go where <laughs> you haven't been before. <laughs> um, so you mentioned your shop. So just for the for the people listening or watching, your shop is um, called Mother Moon, and it's um, tell me a bit about your shop. Um, well, I carry what I would call, um, vibrational tools for a spiritual journey. I have a lot of books cause I love books, mm-hmm. but it's crystals and it's essential oils and it's, um, I have Tibetan singing bowls and flower essences and herbs and, um, other things that you would use to shift your awareness. Mm-hmm. When you started your shop, because I, I was hearing you say that your mother's death when you were a teenager really triggered for you um, this process of really thinking deeply about death and your own death. Was mm-hmm. the shop, did that have any, I guess that no, there's no not really I hate to say this but I was a really natural okay which <laughs> long before there was anything going on with her I can remember having conversations with animals mm. as a small child and I could understand them when they talked back to me mm-hmm. um, <laughs> mm. I had a lot of connections that are very witchy mm. um I was also very, very deeply religious. I was brought up in a melange of religions, but and they were they were very important to me mm-hmm. because I had wonderful grandmothers who were, you know, Sunday school teacher types. And my mother was a person of very deep faith, and my father is as well. Mm. Um, but I have not. I tried very hard in many, many, many different churches, and I could not get organized religion to work for me Mm. I need that earth connection I can remember asking in you know Baptist Youth Fellowship why I felt closer to divine energy when I was out in a field or in the woods than I did when I was in church and I never really got a very good answer for that Mm. Mm. I also um, have this woman's body and I feel that that institution doesn't really serve women all that well. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but thank you for that. Um, I, don't, I don't have any other questions. I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation and I could talk to you all day. Is there anything you would like to add Well, I mean, for my perspective as a pagan person, it's all about this circle. There's a wheel of the year and there's a wheel of life. Mm -hmm. It's, there's no beginning and no ending and it's all connected. Mm -hmm. Um, And it goes around and that's as it should be. Mm -hmm. I just, we have to have, an understanding of our own mortality in order to really appreciate life. 
Mm. It's not something to fear. And this is the benefit of stepping away from some of these fear-based systems is that if you really get into, you know, people of deep faith, this idea that there's this absolute punishment or absolute reward is ridiculous because we don't live our lives in absolutes. Mm. We live our lives in various nuances where we're doing the best we can. Mm. And I really believe that of most people. We are trying. Mm. And I think you should get points for that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like aging, you know, gray hair, my wisdom highlights, they rule, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I earned every one. <laughs> I learned a lot from this conversation. I hope you did too. And again, I hope that these conversations bring you as the listener and the viewer towards a more rich and juicy life. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Mortality and Tea with Amy.